Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Hello and welcome to Hardy's Hot Pants. The yes. <laughs> the new... You know what? I need, I need some intro music for that. I think I might. You do, yeah. yeah. Proper intro music. Um, it's the nostalgic series that we've started here at FYP. Although I admit all episodes at the moment are nostalgic. Uh, but this is a series that I'm hoping we're going to continue once football goes back to normal. Because people seem to be enjoying these adventures back into the past. And joining me, of course, is Jesse Boyce. Hello, mate. Good afternoon, JD. How are you? How's your lockdown? Uh, still locked and still down, uh, but surviving. <laughs> uh, and also a man with more nuggets than McDonald's. It's Ooh. Richard Foster. How are you? Can I use that? More nuggets than McDonald's. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that as a strap line <laughs> over my head as I can walk <laughs> around. Uh, yeah, it's good, actually. We're, we're so, um, so we've got three grown-up kids, so we're actually setting up a Zoom diary. For the house, because we've got so many people doing different things. Yeah. We've got to have Zoom diary. But there you go. Zoom has become part of our lives now. It uh, has, isn't it? I, Weird. I, I think I'm more social now than I ever was. Um, maybe that's not a bad thing. Uh, so, guys, with Pardew's Hot Pants, what we're doing is uh, we're delving into the past. For episode one, this is episode two. For episode one, we had clips from past player interviews uh, that we've done on FIP. And we're going to do that again in the future. But today, it's all about great palace comebacks uh but before we do that we've got an article from the athletic of course and before we do that i want to get both your thoughts on the news this week that palace have claimed to be the oldest professional football club in the world which is quite a claim uh, an extra 44 years tacked on uh because the team formed in 1861 by workers at the crystal palace now has links to the same uh, company that formed in 1905. Richard, you're a man uh, that I'm pretty sure is, keeps an eye on sort of a lot of historical stuff around football. What was your reaction to this? Uh, 
I punched the air, I ran up and down the sitting room, you know, I did all the usual things when Palace get mentioned in a positive light. Uh, Funnily enough, actually, Chris Grierson had mentioned this to me because he came to the book launch of Premier League Nuggets back in October, November time. He said, you know, we're working on this idea that we're the Olds Football Club. I went, oh, come on, Chris. But um, it sounds like it's got some, you know, research heft behind it, if I can use that word. Um, And... I've actually, I, I did a football quiz on Tuesday and I've got a Forest fan and he kept saying, we're the oldest club now because Notts County aren't in the league anymore. I said, I'm afraid you aren't. And he got quite aerated. He really wasn't very happy about the fact that we are definitely now the oldest club in the professional leagues and long may it continue. But as I think I, I tweeted out, I said, oh God, so this is, what is it, 160 years of hurt or something that we've had or whatever it might be. Um but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm up for it. I you know I think 1861 sounds fine to me. It's quite cool, 1861. Actually, I think it would look good um, on the badge. And as you say, the video that Palace and Greer have put together uh, is very compelling. The research in there is very compelling, mm. including W. G. Grace. Apparently, was also linked somehow. You know, why not just chuck in a, a cricket legend as well? Jesse, you have to admit. Clubs being the oldest in the world wasn't something I ever cared about, but now I really, really care about it. Um, yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch the full video yet. I'm saving that for a quiet moment, uh, which a few and far between in lockdown. Um, but I just thought, what, what amazing timing to put this out. They're great that they had this on the back burner, first of all. It must, they must have been relieved to just have something like that in their back pocket yeah. uh, to kind of fill the, fill the void. But I thought also just what a great way to wind up every other football fan during lockdown and <laughs> no, no, nothing else to think about. It was definitely working. <laughs> <laughs> just a really, really great way just to kind of uh, nib- nibble on any of those football historians who uh, can sort of have their nose knocked out of the joint. Well, the sort of naysayers will say it, it would explain the state of Selhurst Park. Uh, <laughs> and probably probably think there's probably a few snide jokes like that knocking around. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm saying... I'm looking. For, I'm looking forward to watching that properly. I, I loved for the sort of brief trailer that I did see on Twitter. I did love seeing that they'd been sort of taking their moment to film Chris's preamble uh, on the pitch before one of the matches and stuff. That, that's, that's brilliant. So mm. I really, really look forward to seeing it. It is very good, and yeah, I mean Palace TV's coverage uh, is excellent. Um, yeah, Richard, it's. Um... It did make me think as well, I tweeted this as well, it's classic Palace that if it is true, we've missed our 150-year anniversary by nine <laughs> years as well. So I don't know what we're going to do um, yeah. about that. Uh, and Jesse's right, it's a nice little, <laughs> nice little way to troll the rest of the footballing world uh, during this lockdown. As you say, it is nice, Richard, actually, to have some positive during everything that's happening at the moment. And especially yeah. Palace I mean, it, always get a positive light. It's nice to have a positive spin on things from us. And, it, you know, as you say, having history is very important at the moment because there's no present. So you've got to have some history to delve into. Yeah. Uh, weirdly, as a kid, I actually used to enjoy history as a subject. So I'm sort of, I'm loving this. And also uh, for the Guardian pieces I'm writing now, I've obviously got, I can't write about anything that's happening at the moment. So I'm delving back and, you know, I could did a piece about the 1990 semi-final, which went down very well, and World War One, World War Two. So I'm sure... My Guardian editor is going to get a little pitch about the oldest football club very soon. 
Excellent stuff. Uh, okay, let's move on and talk about an article from The Athletic, which is, Richard, about, about the present. Uh, yeah. I want to remind you, of course, that The Athletic are a world-class team of writers covering every club, including the best coverage of the world's oldest professional football club. They are a subscription-based website and app. They're completely ad-free. No ads, no annoying pop-ups, just brilliant articles. Welcome to the new home of football writing. And if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, and if you haven't yet, where have you been? You can start a seven-day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription. And this article, uh, so basically the Athletic are doing, across all their football clubs they cover in the Premier League and beyond, uh, they're sort of doing their end-of-season awards if the season did end now. Uh, we hope it's not going to. It sounds like it is going to come back in June or July. Uh, so this one says, who should be Palace's Player of the Year? And it's by Matt Woosnam. And he basically runs through three candidates, which is Jordan Ayew, Gary Cahill, and uh, Vicente Guayita, and he lands at the end of the article really on Jordan Ayew. And I'm just going to read you out a little bit here, Richard, uh, which actually tugs at the heartstrings a little bit. He says, That turnaround from being frequently criticized, unlo- unloved, underappreciated, and a player who was just there because he worked hard and was diligent in his defensive duties, attributes which are crucial, particularly under Hodgson, but not enough by themselves, has been remarkable. Jordan himself conceded that he had to do better. And his comments earlier this season are an interesting insight into factors which can affect players and the conditions under which certain players can thrive. And this is interesting. Last season, he says, when I came to the football club, I didn't have a pre-season. I was overweight. So it's a difficult season for me. But this season, I had the chance to have a full pre-season and I'm feeling better. I'm feeling relaxed and I'm enjoying it. Everything is perfect for me to be good on the pitch. Richard, that kind of turnaround, and actually we're talking about comebacks today, that turnaround from being unloved to loved, it's actually quite palace, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And, yeah, it's the classic zero to hero that um, Jordan and I certainly accomplished because when we announced we were actually signing him permanently, I can't imagine many Palace fans were punching the air, running up and down their sitting rooms. They're probably going, oh, God, got him for another season because he hadn't really ripped up any trees in that previous season. But he's definitely proved... He is uh, an accomplished player. He's got that knack of scoring really important goals. You know, we haven't had a nugget yet, so I'm going to throw in a nugget. His eight goals have been worth 14 points, which is only second behind Aubameyang in terms of points. Aubameyang scored 17, so he scored double the amounts, and his is worth 16 points. So you put that into perspective. Um, but are you, as also Matt points out very um, well, that it's also about his work rate. He's not just a striker who happens to score goals. He works hard. And it's still my favourite moment of the current season is that uh, Benteke, are you thing down the corner against Watford when they were keeping the ball and they were just... <laughs> And the, you know, the ball boy was going that. And we all seen the coverage. It is fantastic. And that will be my memory of 1920 season, if it's all over now, which I think it might be, unfortunately. That is going to be it. And, you know, as say, the goals he scored, that goal against West Ham is still way up there for me as goal of the season when he just wriggles through and does the ridiculous clip over the keeper. Um, and, and he... He just looks like he he really, really wants to play for Palace. And as as it says in that piece, you know, I feel at home. I think he says he says that he he feels, you know, he probably feels loved. And that's what Palace do well. If someone makes the effort, if someone's doing something, we will show them the love. And hopefully that reciprocates and then performing better. 
And I think, Jesse, that happened last season, that people did appreciate him and his work rate. It just wasn't scoring goals. And, and this quote he's got about, I was didn't have a pre-season, I was overweight, and now I've had a full summer, I feel better. I think sometimes we underestimate just how simple things can be sometimes. If players have a pre-season, then of course they're going to be in a better shape. So I think we're quick to write players off when actually their situation can dictate how they do. Yeah, I think you can also add to the fact that he was on loan last year and um, that can affect the mentality that they've got coming into the club. Once and it, the, the 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 fee that we paid for him reflected his kind of tepid season last year, yeah. uh, and and came in the midst of a slightly barren transfer window. So of course it was a little bit um, sort of laughed laughed at. You know, I, I honestly couldn't see any other Premier League team buying AU last year. Why? That's why we got that got him for that fee. Yeah, and, mm. and so yeah, he just he sort of really really surprised me because I think he's. He's never scored more than 12 goals a season. I remember looking that up earlier this year. So I wasn't expecting to hit double figures. It looks like he was just about to, the way things were going. And he's, he had a good mix of, like, as as Richard says, the, the sort of slalom and dink against West Ham was so lovely. And it will be one of the season highlights. And so he's, he sort of had that in his locker, which we didn't know about. Um, but he's also been quite direct. So when he needed to be, so he's just been on the end of things. I think he scored. I remember him scoring a header winner. I can't remember against who, but he was just in the right place at the right time. And at Old Trafford, he scored the winner, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. he did. Yeah. No, no he, well, he scored the first, but it was the most. Sorry, yeah, he scored from the. Yeah, he opened the scoring there at Old Trafford. So yeah, yeah he's, he's sort of been direct at the right time. He's sort of been the difference at the right time. Having said that, he has missed a lot of chances as well. We've, there's been plenty of games where he didn't score, and you just I think it was one game he had seven chances and. Uh, none of them troubled the keepers too much, so he has been he has been hot and cold on taking his chances, but he has taken some important ones, which has kind of made him stand out more than we ever thought he uh, was capable of. Yeah, and as and Gary Lineker points out, you've got to be there to miss them. So I think strikers do miss lots of chances as long as it doesn't affect their confidence. So someone mm-hmm. like Ben Teke, yes. when he misses a chance. His head goes onto his chest, and you think, "Oh God, yeah. I, I feel for you." Yeah. But you know, he, he loses a bit of confidence. Whereas I use seems to be one of these players who just keeps getting the chances, and then he'll take the odd one. Whereas Benteke, as we know, hasn't been in a rich vein of form. Yeah, it's it's almost like if we could, we said this many times on the pod, if we could blend the two players and have sort of Benteke's ability with IU's determination and and sort of calm head, mm. we'd have the perfect striker and. What I like about Ayu is, as Jesse says, there's so much more to his game that we didn't realise. And it was almost like every week he would do something else uh, in his locker. And you think, oh, we can do that as well. Oh, we can hold it up. Oh, we can spin defenders. Oh, we can head the ball. Like every, every week something yeah, else would yeah. come out. Think, this guy's got everything. Um, let's move on, though, to uh, Matt's other two picks for Player of the Year. Cahill and uh, Guaita. Uh, Jesse, Gary Cahill, what, what do, you, do you think? Has he got a shout for Player of the Season? I was indifferent about him coming in just because it, we already looked like we were quite healthy in the centre-back area and it just didn't feel like a priority. Um, and I just thought, he's, I thought we were, I, I, I remember thinking, oh, this smacks of the Mayer situation. Another player who's come in after a very, very uh, inactive uh, season beforehand and is really just going to be off the pace. But he's in such great shape, Gayhill, Gayhill, which has been really... He just looks like a total athlete. And I think someone in his sort of approaching mid-30s, 33, whatever he is, 
he just looks he just looks so up for it. He had a point to prove. He's gone out of Chelsea, probably feeling like he wasted a season or two. Um, and he knows he's, he's sort of on his last two or three years of being a, a kind of top Premier League, well, you know, average Premier League club or above. So he's he's been up for it. I think that's what's been refreshing about Cahill is he's come in ready for it, whereas Mayer, um, you know, completely different scenario. So thankfully he didn't turn out to be another Mayer type scenario. Um, but I, and he's, and yeah, he's, he's, he's sort of shown leadership where we've needed it as well, especially with Luca having slightly off season for him. So we sort he sort of made up for the lack of leadership we've seen, uh, there. Um, but I, I, my pick at my pick for the player of the season would, would be Gaeta. I think he's, we've been sort of dying for a great successor to duels. Um, just both in capability and just sort of character. And he, he is both of those in abundance. And he's just a great shot stopper. He's, he's got one or two amazing world sa- world-class saves in, in him every match. And it's become normal to see that. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and just the way he's been in the lockdown, he's putting out some great content, sort of uh, <laughs> making himself uh, visible and available to the fans and engaging. So he's, he's just, I'd love to see him stick around for a good while. And uh, I, I would pick him for a player of the season if, if things end here. I love the idea that uh, social media content can be a contributing factor in player of the season. <laughs> uh, and it probably should be. Well, Richard, look, I'll let you have the deciding <laughs> vote because um, I think I'm going to go for, for Jordan Ayew purely because as much as I love Guaita, I feel like Guaita is probably going to win that award multiple times over the next few seasons, assuming he stays right. <laughs> Jordan I, this might be his one chance to win player of the year. Um, and everything about his turnaround, fairy tale comeback at Palace. I, I just love it. It really tugs at my heartstrings. Um, although they're both brilliant, brilliant players. And it's so nice for us to have a... Last few years, it's been Wilf, Wilf, Wilf. And before that, it was Jules, Jules, Jules. It's nice mm. now to have a couple of players in the running. But Richard, then, you, you've got the deciding vote. Um, unless you choose Cahill, of course. Well, I was going to say, if I choose Gary Cahill, that will really screw things up. There's one point <laughs> each, isn't it? But, um, but to go back to Cahill briefly, I think he has been an incredibly positive influence. As Jesse points out, we didn't think we'd need centre-backs. We've had Sacco out, we've had Tompkins out, we've had Kelly. You know, we've had a range, you know, we know about our injuries. If we hadn't had Cahill there, it would have been, you know, we'd have struggled a bit, I think. And I love that bit when he blows his cheeks out because he's obviously struggling for air. He's quite old and he's he's trying to catch up. But his positional play, I mean, I'm centre-back by Trey, his positional play is superb and he organises people. So, um, you know, a big plus for him. I'm not going to choose him as my player of the season, but very, very, he's my favourite player that we've got from Chelsea recently let's put him as that <laughs> I don't know if you can get a trophy for that can um it's so difficult between Gator and Jordan Ayew I'm, you know I change my mind every time I look at it actually and I'm just gonna go I'm actually gonna go Gator because I just think he has been the big influence you know I know the fact that we haven't scored many goals as Matt Mooseton points out and I's got eight but Gator's kept nine clean sheets you know, he's only a couple behind the top clean sheets, which amazingly is Nick Pope of Burnley. Um, and he's fifth equal in that. And he's, as Jesse says, he, he makes a series of saves that you sort of get used to. And as it points yeah. out in the article, when he made that rick against Sheffield United, everyone just went, what? <laughs> yeah. How did, how did that happen? You know, has Hennessy suddenly slipped into goal without us noticing? This is crazy. But that's his only mistake I can think of. And he's made you know save after save 
and he is just a fantastic bloke and you know let's give him you know the social media plus so therefore my vote goes to him actually oh um, but you know great respect to jordan i uh, it was the social media that won it. There you go. Um, you can read that article at The Athletic and if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FIP, you can start a seven-day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription. After the break, it's all about comebacks. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan podcast, Pardew's Hot Pants yes. series. <laughs> uh, I'm actually really proud of that name. It's great. Um, so we are going to do Best Palace Comebacks. Uh, and actually, there's been quite a few. Uh, I thought this would be a, quite a difficult subject. I chucked it out to the patrons on our uh, WhatsApp club, which is the Jason Punchin tier, $5 a month. Uh, which you can join at patreon.com forward slash FIP podcast. And there's some great shouts here. So what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you some of the ones they've gone for. Then we're going to have Richard's picks. He's going to pick two. Jesse's going to pick two. I'm going to pick two. Uh, and then we're going to try and pick a top three at the end. Maybe maybe we can land on a top one. Before I do that, obviously, Chris Bull, <laughs> Richard, there'll be people screaming at their phones now saying, well, Chris Bull is the greatest ever Palace comeback. Why are you bothering to do this and it was a great one i think we're going to try and do the greatest comeback that isn't christian bull although i would say to you and i have off air that christian bull was brilliant but there are some comebacks here that we're going to mention that mean more because they actually meant something in terms of points or promotion or something like that whereas christian bull was a great comeback and seven minutes but it was more about liverpool than it was about palace who were safe at the time Absolutely. And I, I think it's the significance that uh, the, the reason I've chosen my two comebacks is to the significance of the result. Whereas, you know, if we'd have lost against Liverpool, it wouldn't have made a difference because we were safe. And it was just an extraordinary night of, you know, seven minutes of heaven, seventh heaven. Uh, but it didn't affect us. It affected Liverpool um, and tough luck to Liverpool, you know. I'm sure they'll get over it. Um, <laughs> but my choice is actually, because I'm a little bit older than you guys, I'm, I'm going back in the past, and as we say, history is important at the moment. So I'm actually going back to May 1977. Well, oh, sorry. Richard, before you do that, let me let me run through. Uh, well, actually, well, let me just go to Jesse really quickly. Um, what are your thoughts on Chris Dumble, uh, Jesse, then? does it is it is it the greatest comeback or... A, like Richard and me, do you kind of think that it's it's brilliant, but there are games here that mean more? So I had my stag do in Barcelona that weekend. Um, and we knew at the time, booking it, 24 of us on Norwegian Airlines, that we would be missing the Liverpool game. At that point, we booked it six months earlier. Didn't think too much about it. But obviously, with Liverpool having a shout for the title, it got rescheduled to the Monday night. Yeah. And we went, it was a bank holiday weekend, so we, we were flying back from Barcelona on the Monday afternoon. Anyway, we landed at, oh, barely been able to still walk, <laughs> uh, 
landed at Gatwick at about 6 p.m. My dad picked us up from East Croydon, me and three others, um, and he drove us to Sellers Park. We left our bags in his boot. Went, I sat down in my seat as the whistle blew. <laughs> wow. And yeah, and I, I was obviously going 3 0 down, I wish I hadn't bothered because I could barely stand up. And I'd been to see Barcelona play Hetafe the day before. So it was quite a football weekend. Um, and then obviously it was it, ten, the final 10 minutes made it all worthwhile. So uh, that sort of was quite rejuvenating to uh, make, make us all wake up again. So um, for me, it, has, it was quite a, unique, quite a unique moment. Did you know what was happening? Did you know uh, where you were? <sighs> it's all a massive blur. I mean, it was, just <laughs> so, it was just pure adrenaline. It was such a rush, wasn't it? Yeah. So I I didn't ex- on the down actually on the downside I didn't experience it in my normal frame of mind so I don't remember it as well as I might have done in just like a normal match going situation but it was it just it was a, it was an amazing end to an amazing weekend so um grateful to survive and and get to see that with my own eyes. Right. I think okay. the crucial question for Jesse is was Vince, Vicente Guetta playing for Getafe at the time? Do you remember this? I do remember. I don't know if he was playing. I was meant to look it up, but I think he was because it was two-two, and right. um, Barcelona were two up. I need to look it up after this, actually. Mm. Uh, and then, so it looked like Barcelona were cruising to you know a standard victory. Their their manager at the time, Tito, had passed away, sadly, um, a couple of weeks beforehand. So the whole game was a big tribute to him, the biggest flag I've ever seen someone's face on it, and it was an amazing occasion. So. That was the kind of uh, moment that everyone was there for, really, or kind of the moment celebrating. So Hatafe kind of spot the party by scoring two late goals, and then the Barcelona fans were disgusted with the result. Um, but I, I obviously didn't know who Gaeta was at the time, so I wouldn't wouldn't be able to say that uh, he stood out in any way. It was quite cool that you went to two games that had late goals coming back to equalise. <laughs> yes, <laughs> nice link. Like Very it. nice. Almost Always like remember it. your stag night for that, not for anything else. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, on the way to the stadium, everyone I was with, all my friends, turned me into the Barcelona club shop, just bought anything that was for sale and just put it on me. So I had a Barcelona shirt, a Barcelona hat, Barcelona scarf, Barcelona face paint. I look like uh, Johnny Portsmouth Football Club guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the guy with the bell. The guy with the bell. I look, yeah. I look, <laughs> like, the, I look, I look like the Catalan version of that. You were just right. missing the bell. Um, right, here's some suggestions from our WhatsApp people before we move on to ours. Mike Clark says, Arsenal away this season, made better by the VAR decision at the end, but not a win, so Selzy will disagree. Uh, Julian Chenery says, uh, 1969, Palace 3, Fulham 2, 2-0 down at halftime, promotion win. First time to the top flight. That's a big shout. Uh, Joe Lee says, Man City 2, Crystal Palace 3. Last two two seasons ago, yeah, uh, big one. Mark Silverstein says this is obscure, but a home match against Coventry in August 2011, two goals in the 89th minute to win it, and added on time two one. I don't remember that. Yeah, uh, I do vaguely remember it. We were absolutely awful. I mean, <laughs> sounds about right. Awful, and yeah, it was two one of the least merited victories I think we've managed to knock together but hey well it's very palace Mark's got another shout here which is uh, the Cardiff game in the promotion season 2-0 down came back to win three Murray hat trick I remember that one that was Mm. uh, the start of the run basically Um, 
And then Joe Lee has got some more suggestions. 2-1 against Sheffield Wednesday at home. Sean Scannell, last-minute winner. I don't remember that. But again, Richard, no, that's probably during that time that. when uh, we were terrible. So all games are forgotten. Uh, I remember this one. Pardew's first game, 2-1 against Spurs. Jason punching with the winner. That yeah. was a good one. Uh, right. But anyway, let's get, Richard, your picks. And you are going back in time for yours, aren't you? I am. I'm going into the black and white era here for the first one. It's... Um... May 1977, and Terry Venables is in charge, and we were in what um, was called the third division. Um, for youngsters, that's what we call League One nowadays. <laughs> and we dropped down because Allison had been in charge, and obviously lots of great stuff in the cup, but actually in the league we were rubbish, and we got relegated from the first to the second, and guess what, from the second to the third. I think this was our second season in the third, and it was basically... Our last game was away to Wrexham, who were above us, and we needed to beat by two clear goals, and they still had a game left on Saturday. So this was to give us any chance of getting promotion. And I think if we'd have stayed in the third division then, we could have disappeared off into the nether regions. So typical Palace, we managed to go 1-0 up. Uh, by the way, Wrexham hadn't lost a game at home all season, so unlikely that they were going to lose this one. We went 1-0 up just before half-time. 2-0 up just after half-time through, um, I think, Swindlehurst scored one of the goals. Jack or Steve Barron. Good. 2-0. That's what we need. Then Wrexham's get one back. Oh, that's a bit annoying. Then Wrexham equalised. Typical Palace. God. We had it in our hands. We threw it away. I think it was the 89th minute, a guy called Rashid Harkook, who was a sort of legendary figure, uh, also well-known to the local police, unfortunately. <laughs> He's, he got um, what seemed like a consolation goal 3-2 and I think the 90th minute and then lo and behold a chap called Jeff Bourne who sadly died a couple of years ago scored for us I think in the 93rd 94th minute 4-2 so we, we'd done our bit of the bargain but Wrexham still had a game left on the Saturday this was a midweek game at Wrexham on the Saturday Wrexham were playing Mansfield at home Mansfield were already promoted they didn't have anything to do Mansfield won one nil. We went up, so that is you know significant. I think because it was start of the Venables era, it led into team of the eighties. My second choice again is something which um, is significant in the result. So June nineteen eighty nine. Uh, I'm sure you were both alive then, weren't you? Uh, June nineteen eighty nine. They um, we had gone to the playoff final, which was the two legged affair then. We'd lost 3-1 at Blackburn, so they'd been 2-0 up. We scored a really quite a late goal, and then they scored a third. So they're 3-1 up. Everyone thought, mm, this is unlikely. Boiling hot day at Selhurst. Righty scores in the 14th minute. Then Madden scores a penalty just in the second half. And you just think, oh, God, we're in it, we're in it. And we're, you know, 2-0. It's now 3-all on aggregate. Um, and eventually we go to extra time because uh, away goals didn't count. And Wrighty scores with about three minutes to go. And uh, I don't know if you've, you've probably seen the coverage. The pitch is just covered with people. And it takes quite a long time to clear them off to finish off the game. But considering, again, the significance of that, because that was really when Steve Cockle took us to the next level, he took us into the what was then Division 1, became the Premier League, the FA Cup run, the Zenith Data Systems Cup, you know, all that sort of big stuff. So these games, to me, were comebacks and they had 
added significance of what came out of those results. All right, let's hear some commentary from that Blackburn 1989 game. Space for him, hit for the outside of the boot. Right, yes. Palace have scored. And Ian Wright, scorer of so many goals, has brought a lot of joy to South London, as you can see. And it was the foul by, by Hendry right on the edge of the box, not on McGoldrick. And the referee saw enough to give a penalty there. And now it's all down to Terry Geno in the Blackburn goal and Dave Madden of Crystal Palace. I doubt whether he'll ever take a more important kick than this one. It's 2-0. And Palace are in business now. It's all in now. How long? Well, there's about three minutes left as McGoldrick turns it in. I couldn't find any commentary from the Wrexham game, unfortunately. I'm surprised if it was even filmed. Although I know, Richard, it was featured on the uh, BT Sport Team of the 80s documentary, uh, which is a great, great documentary. Well worth watching. Uh, yeah. And Rashid Harkook as well was, a, was very much a character, uh, mm. which they go into in the documentary. Um, but he was definitely a sort of catalyst in that game. I think you're absolutely right. Both these games, they were... They sort of started the start-up journey for Palace, weren't they? That 89 team obviously was in the cup final. Blimey, yep. a, year, a year later, blimey. And that, know, Rex, and that Wrexham, later. the team that uh, won at Wrexham in crazy, crazy situation, um, was the team, quote-unquote team of the 80s, you know, a few years later and was uh, in the top flight. And in fact, then was then... Top of the top flight for about a week, weren't we? It was a couple of weeks. Uh, it was a week, I think. I didn't, we didn't go beyond a week because <laughs> we don't want to show off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're both... I like I like your two picks because they start journeys off at, at Palace. And mm. um, as you know, we do love a journey at Palace, even if it ends after a week in 1980. Uh, so two very good picks. And there will be people listening as well, Richard, who will be uh, applauding you as well, because I know that we don't dip into the past maybe as much as we should do on this podcast. Uh, so well done for that. Jesse, uh, your two picks are a bit more recent. Uh, and in fact, I should point out, we're both chosen by Charlie Sullivan in our WhatsApp group as well. Why don't you take us through them? I will do, but just briefly, I just looked it up to see if uh, Greta was playing that day <laughs> in Barcelona. Uh, he was actually still playing for Valencia then. Uh, um, yeah, he left. He left that summer and switched to Hitafe then. Okay, so that clears that one up. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, that's all right. So um, my two picks were Burnley uh, two, Palace three in 2015, which was firmly in. Alan Pardew's honeymoon period. I think he, I think he'd just joined us actually and won his previous two games. So it was, he was on, on a roll at that point. Um, strange team actually, like Sonogo starting and Murray on the bench. I'm not sure what's going on there. <laughs> wow, uh, really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know Murray was out of favour with uh, Pardew sort of from the beginning, wasn't he? He only really got his chance later in that season. Um, but yeah, so it was it was obviously a comeback. So we went two 0 down after about fifteen minutes. It was that kind of. Um, I think the first goal looked it up. It was, it was an amazing cross by Trippier, the likes of which we can only dream of at Salas Park. <laughs> and 
me, me scoring a header, catching Spironi flat-footed Hennessy style. And then it was um, 2-0 with, on 15 minutes where it was sort of that sort of period where Ward started to look about his depth, trying to sort of shield the ball, but sort of being um, overstretching himself and that Arfield stole in and exposed the gap in between the centre-backs. Ings got the goal for 2-0. And then it stayed like that till half-time. Then do you remember in the second half, it was three goals we scored back to win. So Gale scored straight after half-time, a scrappy one. And then Punchin scoring with his right foot, which yeah. um, stood out a little bit. It was a bit of a daisy cutter from outside the box, went past a couple of players. Back when Punchin used to, used to not overcomplicate things, but just used to put things away. Yeah. So um, that was for two two, and then it was the the three two winner um, from Gale again in the last minute, where I think Murray Murray was on at this point, so he was occupying the defender as Punch floated one into Gale to, to bury it with his left foot for three two. Um, I mean, it was probably that kind of comeback which influenced. Remember, Pardew was it the following season where he tried to do that again, and we got found out and lost three two. Yeah. Um, Richard, Jesse's right. It was very much a sort of part of your honeymoon, and it was very much a time where I think we all happily accepted this uh, put the ball at risk that uh, Pardew talked about. We knew that we'd concede goals. We didn't care because it felt like we'd score every time going forward, and we almost did. Yeah, Pardew honeymoon doesn't really feel right, does it? So Pardew stag night on Pardew <laughs> yeah. top pants would be more uh, appropriate. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know. <sighs> As you say, there was that Burnley game where we were two 0 down, got back to all, and then they we were all racing up to score the third, and they broke away. And Ashley Barnes of all people scored, and they awful. And Wilf was the last, but it was the the furthest back. Wilf, I mean, really. So um, you know, these are the sort of things that led to that horrendous five four at Swansea, which still hurts me yeah. uh, to the core. That how could we have possibly have done that? Uh, you know, because that could have been one of the great comebacks, couldn't it? Because we were three run down, four three yeah. up. Anyway, so um, yeah, I just we we all want goals in football. We just want them, are oh, you know, <laughs> in their goal, not our goal necessarily. And um, yeah, I think you're right, Jesse. But I think the Burnley actually that Burnley game. I think Gale scored in the his first one was in the at the first half. It was a scrappy goal. But um, it's interesting because Gale's two there mirrors the two against um, Liverpool at Crystal Ball. Um, but you're right. I think we were in that Pardew era when it was, you know, fun, harem, scarem football. And, uh, OK, it's entertaining. But in the end, we just need a bit of stability. And that's, you know, that's what we've got with Roy, isn't it? We, whatever anyone says, we have stability and, you know, we've got Gator, we've got Cahill, we've got a decent defence and that's, you know, for me is as, if not more important. Yeah, it was a very fun time, but as is often the case, the fun times don't last forever. Mm. Uh, Jesse, what's your next pick? It would be a couple of years later, so 2017 at Chelsea, where we won 2-1. Um, Chelsea were top of the league at the time, so it was a, a real surprise. I think, yeah, um, and we were sixteenth, just hovering above the, the bottom three. So it was a very important win for us. Um, and it was, it was. Do you remember it was a real flurry of early goals? So Fabregas scored after a few minutes, and it looked like it was, you know, reverting to script of what was likely to happen next. Then we scored two really quickly: Zaha on nine minutes, and Benteke scored 
that amazing little faint and then dink over Courtois. Mm. Um, and yeah, Zaha just, just Benteke just assisted Zaha's uh, goal. He managed to get out of his feet into the corner and then uh, Zaha assisted him back two minutes later. So it was, I think everyone in the stadium and everyone watching was surprised at what was happening after 11 minutes. And they're probably more surprised it stayed that way to the end of the game. So, um, and again, the first goal, the Fabregas goal, it was, I looked at it again. It was, it was again, Wardy was sort of, since his mistakes seem to be so visible. I mean, I know it was Hazard that tied him up in knots and got the ball across, but it just sort of, so those typical situations that the spotlight shines on Wardy and he's sort of come in front of their criticism that he was past it. Um, so yeah, just he'll never last that ward fellow, will he? He'll never last. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's, it's been really it's sort of been dealt some harsh cards in terms of his mistakes seem to lead to goals. But um he's you know, he's I'm just pleased pleased to see him. Remember how devastating we were to see him get injured this year. It shows he's mm. so good at staying the so good at staying the course, Wardy. So um yeah, this, that, I'm sure you have your own memories of this game, but because that Venteke goal lives long in the memory. Yeah, very much so. Let's hear some commentary from uh, that win. Second win in a row, actually, at Stamford Bridge uh, for following the same score in the previous season. Still, Aiden Hazard gets the byline and Diego Costa's in there. And it's tucked in inevitably by Cesc Fabregas. So easy for Chelsea. Inside five minutes. Benteke. Zahar. Well, he is in the form of his life. Zaha to his right. Here is Zaha. Now it's Benteke. He's in. And he scored. Unbelievable. Eye-popping, show-stopping brilliance on the counter from Crystal Palace. Uh, yeah, that was Benteke at his pomp, really, Richard, wasn't he? I mean, he, very much a different player to now because... Now, when he goes through, you think he might not score. And if he even hits a target, you think, oh, well played, Christian. Back then, you just knew he'd score all the time. And that goal, I mean, it might possibly even be his best goal for Palace. It was just so cool in the circumstances to put down a keeper like Courtois and think it over him. It yeah, really, I mean, it, really it's cool. almost un-Benteke-like because most of his goals is, you know, headers or powerful, yeah. you know, smashes in. And that was wasn't dissimilar actually to Ayu's finish against West Ham in that he just waited for the keeper, let him go down and then just dinked it over him. And that takes a lot of confidence and a lot of cool. And Benteke today would not do that. I can guarantee you. <laughs> so um, I think it's a, it's a goal in aspect, if you like, that we, we probably aren't going to see again. Well, I mean, who knows what's going to happen to Benteke? Who knows what's going to happen to football in the future? But um, it, it, the, I remember that game. Actually, I wasn't at the game, but I was picking up my daughter and I was driving and I was sort of superstitious thing. If I'm listening to the radio in a particular place, I can't change. So I picked her up. She was coming back from somewhere from the station. Fabregas had scored, so I wasn't in a very good mood. And then as I was driving away, we got the equaliser. I was going mad. And then Benteke, and as you say, it was really early. I had to stay in the car for 75 minutes because I couldn't leave because I was thinking, oh, superstition, if I leave the car, Chelsea will score. So I just sat in the car in the drive just waiting for this game to end. But that's probably more about me than the game. Well, it clearly worked as well. So thank you very much for your that's commitment a, there, Richard. That's an assist, I think. Yeah. I think it's just a great excuse to sit in the car listening to football. I might use that in the future. That's, <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, 
Okay, I remember as well, actually, uh, Jesse, that uh, 2017 game, I think it was that one, was the away end. I wasn't there either, unfortunately. Um, the away end in particular was on fire that day. I mean, almost literally, because I think there was smoke bombs. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a proper Palace away day, that one, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's just so great when you... I mean, I seem to have missed out on a couple of those. Um, I missed the other Chelsea one where Sacco scored and Wardy scored. Was that the year before you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, the season before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've missed out on a couple of those Chelsea results, unfortunately. So, thankfully, been at the Fulham ones. Um, but they're always great away days just to, to, to venture to that part of the town, especially if it's end of the season when it, it's warm like it is now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we'll get to see a few more days like that going forward. <laughs> who knows? Who knows if football is even going to come back, but hopefully. Um, <laughs> right, uh, let's move on to my picks. And I've got uh, one fairly recent and one... Kind of not. Uh, the first one is uh, Palace to Watford one in 2017. Uh, possibly one of the latest winners that I can remember at uh, Sellers from uh, James MacArthur. Palace went one 0 down through Dow Yanmat. Scored after three minutes. Mm. I think there was a defensive lapse and sort of let him in. It sort of stunned everyone um, down at the Homestead end. And then from memory, we were quite poor, certainly in the first half. I think the second half we were a lot better. Wilf in particular. In the first half, he was getting stick from the Watford fans. I think that's when he cupped his ears to them. Um, possibly even got booked for that. Um, actually, no, I can see he didn't get booked for that. Um, and then the second half, he used that to fuel him on, to almost single-handedly make it his personal mission to down Watford. Uh, and he did that by setting up two goals in the last minute, although ridiculously, neither of them counted as assists because they both took deflections through. The first was a shot on goal, which uh, the goalkeeper... Gomez parried and then uh, Bakary Sacco scored, I think, at the second attempt then off the rebound. And then the last minute, Wilf tangles up about four Watford players with skills, whips it across the box, and James MacArthur, very coolly, left-footed, sides it into the bottom corner. Uh, I think because it was Watford, it made it all the more sweeter, but it was just a really, really great turnaround from Palace, who at the time, with Hodgson having just come in, were really sort of turning their season around as well. Um, let's hear the commentary uh, from that win. Richarlison first on the scene. Inside the first three minutes. Down to nine and a half as uh, Hart comes forward here for Crystal Palace. Takes it on. Um, Richard, I've put this one in pretty much, not just because it was a great night to be there, one of those really enjoyable uh, Palace uh, experiences, but because it's Watford as well. And I just, that's, I know they're not really our rivals, but they, they hate us and you know, they're local to me. So it's nice for me to get one over on them. But um, there's something, they, they were quite, I feel like the Watford fans are quite sort of arrogant that day. And obviously they were battering Will. So it's quite nice when, it almost feels like football justice in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think you're right that Wilf uh, sometimes is inspired by people giving him flack. And you almost want the away fans to have a go at him, or if we're away, for the home fans to have a go at him because it inspires him and suddenly he goes up to the next level. As we know, Wilf's quite mercurial. Sometimes he's on it, sometimes he's not. But I think he just feels, right, I am going to show you guys, actually. 
that I am better than all you. Um, you know, obviously the song we all know, he is better than uh, nearly everyone else. So um, I remember half time turning around to my mate and saying, this is pretty awful. And as you say, it was early in the Hodgson era, so it was important because we were desperate for points, having not collected any in that first seven matches. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it was uh, a sort of turning point because, as you say, we very rarely score late goals. And to get two of them to turn it around against the Mooses was quite important. Uh, actually, and Jesse, we, it was the third game, actually. So Hodgson came in in sort of early October, I think, uh, 2017. Late October, we drew two all against West Ham, Wilf 90th mm-hmm. minute equaliser. Then end of November, we beat Stoke 2-1, Mamadou Sacco, 90th minute winner. Uh, and then we had this Watford game as well. So actually, we went through a bit of a spell of having late important goals, which never really happens at Palace. I remember this game. We played awful. We were absolutely terrible. And am I, I, I right in thinking that Wilf was played centrally, just getting frustrated, and eventually put him out wide, and then he affected the game. I think that's well, what happened. Yeah, actually, from the from the lineup, it does look like it was Wilf and Benteke up front, and Sacco came on uh, in the 70th minute. So uh, as did James MacArthur for Townsend and Kabai. So I think yeah, we then got more of a potentially sort of balanced front three and you're right when when Wilf went out wide it was when he was able to really attack the fullback which he did for the uh for the winning goal yeah that's that was my um takeaway memory from that just that we just did not deserve on the balance of play but but we yeah we did what we needed to do when it counted in, in the closing stage of the game and I'm sure it was sickening for Watford fans, which is absolutely delightful. <laughs> Good. Um, another game, actually, my second pick, which is also sickening for the away fans, is uh, the away fans in general. The away fans in particular were Peterborough fans because this game happened in May 2013. It was our final league game of the promotion season. Uh, and Palace ended up winning 3-2. Went behind twice in this game. Uh, Lee Tomlin scored first for Peterborough. Uh, and then uh, Glenn Murray equalised for the penalty. Then Nathan Mendes-Lang scored after 63 minutes. Uh, and I believe we needed at least a result, potentially a win, to uh, confirm a top six place in the playoffs. And our form had been awful pretty much since the turn of the year. And we'd, we weren't top, I think. We'd slid right down into almost out of the playoff places. And Kevin Phillips comes off the bench and pops up with an equaliser, as he did many times that season and again in the final. And Mile Jednak headed in an 89th minute winner. So Palace coming from behind twice, securing a playoff spot, and the rest, as we know, is history. Let's listen to that commentary. It's done well, Tomlin. It's done brilliantly, Tomlin. Brilliant goal. Absolute stunner. Well, if they are going to stay up courtesy of that goal, it merits being that decisive. Tomlin at the near, and aims of handball, and Zakwani was that a missed chance? I think it was penalty. Zakwani on Gabidon. It was a poor challenge. He missed the ball and caught Gabidon right on the knee. Can Murray put them level? There's your answer. He moves to 30 league goals of the season. Plenty of anxious supporters as Mendes Lang hits it into the corner of the net. Sensational. Still in Palace possession, Phillips! Kevin Phillips! There's nobody quite like him. Palace 2, Peterborough 2. 
playoffs. Peterborough into League One, it seems. Uh, Jesse, this I have to admit, this is one of those games where I was convinced we were going to throw it away. And when Peterborough went ahead twice, I just felt like I'd been vindicated. Our form had been terrible that year. Uh, we were going to throw away this great opportunity. We were losing Wilf. It just felt, I'm going to say it, typical Palace. But actually it wasn't because we turned it around and the rest is history. Uh, it's, um, I mean, everything was just going for us, wasn't it? It's just... Um, ah, it's just... I do have a faint, faint memory of it, but um, yeah, Jidnak, Jidnak scoring headers. I mean, that's, that wasn't a frequent thing, was it? <laughs> no. So especially in the... Uh, especially in the last minute, just to send us into the playoffs. And, and then Phillips was so was such an amazing uh, signing for us. You know, I think without him, we wouldn't have gone out, would we? No. I think this sort of did what, he, did what we needed in those closing stages of that season. And obviously the final as well. Um, yeah, absolutely integral uh, comeback for our history, really. Yeah, and Richard, actually, this one is very similar to your picks in that it's the game that's, almost the, the the start of a journey. It's almost before the start of a journey. And I think it's probably the game. I mean, the semi-finals second leg against Brighton was, you know, one of the best tactical displays of a Palace team I've ever seen. The final was absolutely superb. But this Peterborough game is almost more important because obviously without it, we wouldn't have been in the playoffs. And I think it actually kick-started our season again for the next three games. I think it actually made the players and the management and the uh, fans realise oh hang on a minute we've really got to up our game which we did and for that reason I think it's a very very important comeback yeah you're right because I mean effectively we scraped into the playoffs as I say our form was pretty poor and we'd been top and then we started dipping and Holloway couldn't prevent this and it was all getting a bit hairy um, you know I think Peterborough actually got relegated because of that game so it, it meant something yeah, to them yeah. as well and um if you think about the first leg of the semi-final against Brighton, we weren't exactly brilliant in that either. And we were possibly a bit lucky to get away with the middle. And going into the second leg, I'm not sure what you two felt, but I wasn't imbued with confidence about that. And I just, as Jim, you and I were discussing only a few months before, we'd lost 3-0 at Brighton. Yeah. And they were very good at the Amex. And I thought, well... There's no way we're getting anything out of that. And then suddenly uh, Wilf does his magic and off we go to Wembley and Kevin Phillips. As Jesse pointed out, I think Phillips was absolutely fundamental in that season. And if he hadn't come along and scored those goals, then I know he scored the penalty in the final, but there were other goals as well that were equally as, as important in making sure we were in the playoffs. So Phillips, I think, is a absolute key to that season and you know he scored the equalising goal against Peterborough and, and as I say I think once we stumbled over the line then we were set up for our glorious day against Watford Yeah and that, that Phillips goal actually was a, was a real poacher's goal in that Peterborough game sort of sticking out a leg always toe poking it into the net as it sort of bounced around um, the box. I actually, I've got a stag do story as well. Uh, two stag do stories on one podcast because oh, I came wow. back from my friend Ben's <laughs> stag do in Portugal. He was a Brighton fan, and it was me, Ben, and thirty of his Brighton supporting mates on holiday. <sighs> we watched. We hired a villa. Watched the first leg in the villa. Proudly wore my Palace shirt, uh, despite <laughs> being surrounded by Brighton fans. And then the return leg, I landed at Gatwick at about three in the afternoon. Got the 
the train straight down to Brighton and went straight into the stadium and watched the game then. But I was in the press overflow section for FYP, which is basically the Brighton home end. I had to sit on my hands as Will scores two of the most important goals in Palace's history. Uh, but at least I was there. Um, anyway, that's not the game we're talking about. We're talking about the Peterborough game. Um, <laughs> let's, do you know what? We've heard the games. We've heard our reasons. Let's pick. I want all three of us to pick one of our two, which we'll then put into a top three, and then we'll try and pick the order of that three. I'll go first to give you guys a bit of time. I'm going to pick, as much as I love beating Watford, I'm going to pick that Peterborough game because it was the start of the journey that has brought us to where we are now. And without it, we wouldn't be enjoying our best ever spell on the top flight. So and I'm, a shout out to Julian Chenery as well, who did mention this game in the WhatsApp group as well. So Peterborough, sorry, Palace 3, Peterborough 2 is my pick for our top three. Jesse, which one are you picking out of your two? Purely because of that Benteke goal, I'm going to go the Chelsea one. Good call. Good call indeed. Uh, Richard, what are you going to go for? Yeah, I'm going to have to swing with Jesse here, I think, because I think, you know, beating Chelsea for the second time at Stamford Bridge in two seasons, I think they were the champions, weren't they, as well? I just think Jesse was right. They were top of the league. That's a bit of a feather in the cap, isn't it? And, you know, stumbling against Peterborough and Watford is not exactly glory game, is it? So... <laughs> Let's go for beating Chelsea yet well, again. You was, I meant you're supposed to pick one of yours. Oh, one of mine. <laughs> oh, I was trying to be. I was trying to be nice. Um, uh, I would always go for the uh, Palace Blackburn uh, second leg because that was after the 1990 semi final, the most amazing game I've been to. I think, and the happiest I've ever been at a football match. Love that. Okay, so our top three. Is Blackburn 89, Peterborough 2012, and Chelsea 2017. I think we know what's going to be top. Um, so let's see if we can put them in order. Uh, I would vote for maybe Peterborough third, Blackburn second, Chelsea top. Jesse, what do we think about that? Yeah, although I was at the Blackburn game. I was about 11 years old. And I, I do remember it. It was a hazy memory, but it was kind of my first ever playoff experience. So that, or, or the, I didn't even know what the playoffs were at that point. So it was quite a, quite a surprise to the system, just seeing the euphoria uh, again. That was a new high or a new experience at that age. So it does stand out. But um, yeah, I just can't get the Pentecchi going out of my head either. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like we should have a few more comebacks to our name, to be honest. I think like we shouldn't be struggling for comeback stories. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I've seen the balance really. Uh, oh, actually, Richard, before I get your thoughts on the top three, um, pitch, pitch invasions, fans, pitch invasions don't happen anymore, do they? They used to be in the eighties and nineties. That was a big thing, but, oh yeah. Um, but I mean, you get arrested now, don't you? So, and yeah, but if everyone goes on the pitch at the same time, they can't arrest all of us. No, that is true. Uh, and that was definitely the Palace Blackburn. I think there are more people on the pitch than actually in the stands <laughs> at that point. So it would have been difficult to arrest everybody. Um, what am I going to choose? Ooh. But I'm, I'm going to choose the Chelsea game, actually, as I say. And I, I quite like the fact that Jesse keeps saying he can't get it out of his head. Isn't, isn't there a song about can't get it out of my head? Was it Sophie Ellis Becks? Kylie Minogue. I think that's the so first time that's... that Kylie Minogue has been mentioned on the FYP podcast. But not but... the last. <laughs> give, 
and giving a giving a nod to Ben Teke and his social media skills because that seems to be a little bit of flavour of this pod. Okay. Um, didn't he make a nod to this Chelsea game the other day on Twitter? Did you see that? Yeah, Chelsea had tweeted out something. Uh, we really miss Stamford Bridge, and lots of football clubs and football players had then piled in and just retweeted their own memories of scoring at Stamford Bridge, of which Benteke was one of them. Nice, yeah, well done, Christian. I like that. That's that's showing a bit of confidence. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, there you go. That's the uh, the official FYP Pardew's Hot Pants number one Palace comeback. If you're not including Christian Ball, um, is uh. Palace, Chelsea won Crystal Palace 2 from 2017. And let's hope that not only does football come back very soon, uh, although we will continue these Pardew's Hot Pants uh, series throughout the season because I'm, I'm very much enjoying it. Let's hope that Christian also has a comeback at Palace and gets back to scoring goals uh, like that. So, uh, lads, thanks for joining me. Richard, always good to talk to you. Very nice to talk to you both. Um, good to see you. Glad you're all uh, looking relatively well, even if underneath it's uh, not looking, feelings are good. <laughs> yes, uh, indeed. And uh, Jesse, good to talk to you, mate. And um, I'll see you both soon, hopefully. And uh, Jesse, glad we've given you a respite for the last hour. Yeah, thanks, JD. Uh, lovely to talk to you both again. Nice to break up the day, isn't it, like this? So, um, yeah, let's do it again sometime. Love it. We will be back again with another edition of Pardew's Hot Pants. It's the best name we've ever chosen for a podcast series uh, here at the FYP Podcast. In the meantime, stay safe, uh, wash your hands, and we'll see you again very soon. Podcast Network.